Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey, folks, it's Rena Jadhav here with Dr. Todd Ovakaitis. A very serious day today, very serious interview today, because we're talking about how are we going to survive and thrive through the coronavirus, the COVID-19 crisis. The, you know, globally, we're starting to see things starting to shut down. Of course, in the U.S., the White House just had a press briefing. What made me super nervous was how close they were all standing and literally on top of each other. And Fauci tried to leave and he said, come back. And then Fauci struggled to get right back in. And I'm thinking, you know, we are being informed and instructed to keep um, a three to six foot distance. And yet here are some very, very important people who've clearly been in contact with those infected just because of what they do. And they're all standing too close to each other um, to help us uh, really navigate these very complex, confusing times is Dr. Todd Ovakaitis. Dr. Todd is an MD. He um, his claim to fame, amongst many, many other things, is his super brilliance, his standing first in a lot of things. But what resonates with me most, of course, is his work with the HIV virus and his success. And this is a story that I, he's got a video which you can watch in someone who's got um, HIV virus that gets completely cured, healed. And so I thought Dr. Todd would have a uniquely educated perspective, which a lot of people don't, and yet they're out there dishing it out. But I thought you would have a perspective better than anybody else's, given that you've been dealing with viruses and you've had some success. So Dr. Todd, welcome. Thank you. First question, are we overreacting? Initially, I thought so. And... To me, in one sense, this is flu season and flu happens. And there are a certain number of susceptible people every year that uh, succumb to it. And yet there are enough differences with this particular virus and outbreak that extra caution is appropriate. How worried are you that this is going to be months or years versus two weeks or four weeks? My best estimate is four to eight weeks, and that will largely subside. Okay. So what are you doing at this point, given your knowledge about how viruses behave? And we're going to talk about what exactly is a virus anyway in just a moment. Mm-hmm. But how are you protecting yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, the general recommendations, the so-called social isolation is pretty reasonable. So avoiding being in places where there's a high concentration of people, I travel a lot, but I'm avoiding flying for now and not going to rock concerts or <laughs> places where a lot of people well, they're are. they're canceled, Dr. Todd. Even if you wanted to, you can't go to them anymore. Ah, jeez. <laughs> That's unfortunate. It's really waiting for the next Bon Jovi concert. So that that's part of it. I think the general recommendations, you know, just being careful, like even close friends, for now I'm not you know, shaking hands, uh, doing whatever that, the elbow bump is, as, as it were. Uh, and large, large supporting large groups of people, uh, staying at home more than usual. That's part of it. I think just, just and I was going to go to the gym this weekend, but I realized, well, at the gym, everybody's handling weights, people are coughing. You know, are they cleaning all the services regularly? So. I can do a workout at home for a few weeks. It's not really that difficult if you know what you're doing. You can get a comparably good workout anyway, just uh, using things at home, including your own body weight. And then there's certain nutraceutical components that make a huge difference that aren't really being talked about that I think people should generally know about. I know that's, in a sense, anticipating your question list. No, no, please dive right in. What are the nutraceuticals? For those of, of the folks watching, what's a nutraceutical? Because not everybody knows what that is. Sure. So a nutraceutical is basically combining the concept of a nutritional product that is so beneficial in a sense that it almost has pharmaceutical-like properties. 
And from that standpoint, my strongest recommendation based upon the existing clinical research is simply to use what would be called glutathione builders. And glutathione is probably something you've talked about on the show before, is the most significant intracellular antioxidant that's present at the highest concentration in cells of the antioxidant systems and is generally called the major anti-tumor, anti-aging, antioxidant within the cells. And why that is so relevant is that in a variety of scenarios with viruses, the presence of adequate glutathione greatly reduces the virulence of the virus. Uh, this was quite true with HIV infection, for example, where virtually anything that increased glutathione or that mechanism was associated with significantly reduced clinical aggressiveness of the disease, uh, reduced evidence of infection, as well as reduced mortality from infection. And one example of that was the relationship, for example, between soil selenium and the outbreak of HIV, where the countries that had the highest selenium content in the soil and therefore by extension in the food the rates of prevalence of the disease were much less and the aggressiveness of the disease was much less. From, and selenium is important because it, it's involved in the glutathione peroxidase enzyme. So that's one aspect of boosting glutathione. There are some products that are glutathione um, that you can simply ingest, but you tend to get difficulty with GI absorption of that compound unless it's in a special form, like in a liposome, for example. Uh, we overcome that by giving glutathione in a sublingual form that's also laser-enhanced with our so-called photoacoustic process. So we provide a glutathione that can be uh, applied as an oral spray, where we tend to get uh, support of clinical systems that are, is actually comparable to giving the glutathione intravenously, for example. Now, the simplest thing that can be done that has strong evidence to support it with respect to influenza season, very interestingly, is a simple nutrient that is called N-acetylcysteine, or NAC. I imagine you've heard about that compound. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I've been taking NAC, you bet. Mm -hmm. So. This came up actually when I was asked by a government, I won't say which, I guess for confidentiality purposes, but a government, and not the US, but one uh, in a country nearby to us, invited me to assist them with their concerns about swine flu. And the most significant data that I could provide to them was the clinical research on N-acetylcysteine, where simply taking 600 milligrams twice a day reduced symptomatic influenza by 80%. Wow. Yeah, that's all. 600 milligrams twice a day. That's a typical quantity in a capsule in many of the supplements that are out there that's been studied. It has a multitude of other beneficial effects uh, for detox, for lung health, for uh, a mucolytic to help break up mucus that might be a little bit thick. It has some anti-allergic uh, properties and so forth. And as the single simplest, most basic recommendation that's supported by clinical trial, not for coronavirus, I'll say that just to be clear about where the data is coming from. This was for influenza virus, yet there's similar viruses attacking a, a similar bodily system. And the mechanisms that reduce the virulence of coronavirus are likely to be similar for those of basic influenza virus. So that would be the single simplest thing to do, just doing that, you know, based upon the research with influenza virus showed that even if people were infected, that the likelihood of having symptomatic infection was reduced by 80%, which is quite a lot for a single, simple nutritional That's, intervention. It is. And does it matter uh, age, gender, size? So you know, my height size versus my husband's height size versus my age, is it the same 600 milligrams twice a day? Uh, the clinical study was basically done in adults and didn't really differentiate 
know, a particular, say, milligram per kilogram amount to be taken. Okay. So I mean, arguably, if someone is a very large person, maybe we wise to double up on it. If someone is really petite, maybe half the amount is sufficient. Um, what we do know is that those given across the spectrum of, of adults significantly reduced the symptomatic evolution of the infection. Well, you wouldn't take it prophylactically, though, would you? Would you wait for symptoms, or is this something that can be taken prophylactically to build up body tolerance? Well, for this particular application, I do not have evidence that it reduced the transmissibility. That is, if someone were exposed, was there a reduced chance that they got infection? That was not really clear from the data. Okay. What was clear was that if someone actually contracted the infection, it resulted in a much milder manifestation. Okay. And, I, and I think our greater concern isn't as much that if someone might not get infected. I mean, the, the, the two concerns are if someone gets infected, A, will they transmit it to somebody else? Right. And B, will they get a severe infection that might be life-threatening and require hospitalization? Absolutely. And you know what the next question is going to be? So what brand do you like? Because one of the biggest challenges I feel is that so many companies out there sell products with labels and it's hard for the common person who hasn't done a ton of research to identify a trusted brand that truly will have the 600 milligrams of you know non-toxic nac versus a brand that is is putting stuff together out of china for example so mm -hmm. um could you share some brands that you like or what should people look for in the label itself mm -hmm. well if it's just the one component, N-acetylcysteine, it typically comes 600 milligrams. Uh, companies that I like are Gero and Twin Labs. Those are reliable, I think, you know, can be pretty well trusted. Uh, of course, uh, my own company, Gematria, has a formula that contains N-acetylcysteine. And this particular formula is called the air capsules, air stands for accelerated immune recovery, which contains not only the N-acetylcysteine, but also contains other proven uh, nutrients that support the health, integrity, and function of the immune system. For example, it contains a highly bioavailable zinc as an amino acid chelate, um, uh, vitamin A, uh, vitamin E, and uh, acetyl-L-carnitine, for example. So those are nutrients that all are proven immune enhancers. This was one of the forms that was used for assisting villagers in Africa with HIV infection. And our results in a protocol that had three different formulas that were working together for various aspects of it the rate of immune recovery was typically five to eight times faster than if persons were just using the drugs alone. Oh, that's so, incredible. So our, our work in that area, it had some pretty good clinical results. It was not just uh, that one formula. So uh, our, our own version of it would be our, our so-called air capsules and those have 300 milligrams of the N-acetylcysteine per capsule and a whole symphony of other immune-supporting nutrients. So that would require taking two capsules twice a day to, to get the effect we're looking for that's considered the nutritional support of, I would call it, as the research shows, reducing the virulence of the infection. Dr. Todd, there's a couple of questions around um, how do you spell your product? And I'll give them the website as well. It's Gematria, right? It's G-E-M-A-T-R-I-A.com. Dot mm -hmm. com. And the spelling of your product? So the formal name is Air Multi-Immune Capsules. And Air just stands for Accelerated Immune Recovery. Okay. 
air multi-immune capsules. capsules. Mm -hmm. All right. Have you you found a difference between liquids versus powders? In general, in terms of absorption? Mm -hmm. And specifically Mm -hmm. for NAC? Uh, Well, for NAC, probably... I would recommend capsules as opposed to tablets. Uh, one of the disadvantages of NAC is that it's not very palatable. It's a sulfur amino acid that tastes very strongly of the sulfur. So it's probably easier to ingest 600 milligrams just by taking a capsule than by taking it in a liquid form. Uh, that said, there are studies looking at the relative bioavailability of a nutrient, whether it's in a pressed tablet, whether it's in a gelatin capsule, whether it's in a liquid form. And generally, the bioavailability is poorest in a compressed tablet. In some cases, and in certain persons' digestive tracts, the tablets never actually dissolve. They just kind of (laughs) go through uh, relatively unaltered, which makes them relatively useless as uh, something supplementing if you don't actually absorb it. Uh, Gelatin capsules tend to do significantly better and usually the best absorption is if something is already in a liquid form. Got it. So you've talked about NAC, which is fabulous. What do you think we need to do nutritionally? Have you found any specifics with respect to building up our immunity? So that could be a combination of, of course, if you've you know, heard of vitamin C, vitamin D. I posted something out around how critical it is to have the right amount of vitamin D running around in your system. What are some of the other things we need to do nutritionally, not necessarily through supplementation? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I would echo that in terms of a very basic support program that anyone could use. I would suggest adding one to two grams of vitamin C. You probably already made that recommendation. And for vitamin D, probably on the order of 5,000 units as a basic place to start. So... Um, other basics, uh, zinc is critically important, so probably 15 milligrams per day of zinc. Um, the big issue with any of the minerals is that they're in a bioavailable form, and most inorganic zinc is relatively poorly absorbed and competes with other uh, plus-two charged minerals like calcium and magnesium. So I generally prefer the amino acid chelates, and the best of those come from Albion Labs. They're the, the most tested and best clinically validated. How and do you spell that? Uh, Albion. A-L-B-I-O-N? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And, and the issue is whether something is a true amino acid chelate, which means that there is a coordination complex of two amino acids that wrap around the mineral, and that results in a different pathway of absorption. The typical minerals that are inorganic that need to be dissolved in the stomach they compete with a single plus two charge mineral transporter system. So the more you take of, of those minerals, the more they actually inhibit each other's absorption. Whereas once you wrap two amino acids around it, there's a different active transport mechanism that often results in both uh, six to eight times the immediate absorption and even two to three times the cellular assimilation. So zinc is great and ideally if one's going to consume the 15 milligrams of daily zinc that is immune supportive, that ideally it's in the amino acid chelate form. That's good to know. What about, again, from a diet standpoint, what are some of the natural ways to get access to zinc? Would that be nuts, like a nut and seed heavy diet, oranges, broccoli? Right. Basically, nuts and greens are very good for that. Okay. Um, and if you want selenium, uh, arguably the richest source is... Uh, Brazil nut. Brazil nuts, exactly. As much as 100 micrograms per nut. One nut, that's all you need. Pretty much, one to two. Yeah, one that's a description. Right. Mm-hmm. Brazil nut, um, I keep them stocked. They're not very yummy, so I toss them into smoothies, you know, banana smoothies and stuff. And it's mm-hmm. just that way you don't have to taste it, but you're still getting it. Um, well, gosh, someone's um, already jumped on your site and she says there's no air capsules on your website. So, <laughs> so well, yeah, we're back ordered, believe it or not. 
<laughs> okay. All right. So it's almost like almost like toilet paper. Try to find it, right? <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> so, do you know why people are hoarding on? Uh, what's your human, <laughs> you know, psych insight there? Little psych one hundred and one lesson. Why toilet paper? Well. It's really weird. Like you think about what are our modern conveniences and if you were to be compelled to be at home for, for two weeks and you had to subsist on whatever was in your house for two weeks and couldn't leave the door, it's really weird. Like toilet paper is one of those modern conveniences that we're accustomed to. Now for thousands of years we managed without it, but, but now it becomes like one of those, those core necessities. Also, think that maybe there's this idea that if you completely wrapped yourself in toilet paper, that that would also be protective, like literally a, a human mummy. Yeah, I, I, other than it's Maslow's hierarchy and this is where people are today, I just don't get it. I just <laughs> we're, stuck, don't. we're stuck at, the, at, the, uh, at the, the taking care of that part of our anatomy level. We're literally at the bottom. <laughs> there's, there's nothing else I can figure out as to why there's a run on toilet paper. Because you can still find rice everywhere, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, so, moving on to vaccines. So, let me say, say one thing, actually, yes. for the person uh, looking for the capsules. Uh, we do expect to have it ready in about a week or so. Uh, but we don't want to put it online until it actually, you know, clears through all the QC stuff and is available. So if someone is interested, they can just write a note to info at com, And then as soon as it's available, we can notify people that are interested that it's ready. Okay, fantastic. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you for Great. sharing that. Sure. So one is obviously prevention. And right. we specifically don't want those over... 60, I mean, they say 70, I say 60, you know, the sooner you can pr protect yourself, the better it is. Over 60 years of age, you should be self-isolating. Below that, you know, you've got kids that want to run around everywhere and they don't understand that they could bring things in. So right. there is a real challenge. And, uh, you know, I, I do think from a protection standpoint, one is self-isolation. Second is fix your nutrition, people. Question around nutrition, alcohol. There's a question that came up on alcohol. Uh, I'm going to read it out to you, and then I'm going to ask you my question that relates sure. to that. Um, if you have a healthy microbiome, um, and I guess it's plant-based diet, are you okay to have a glass of wine? Um, because it helps to relax, if not abused. So <laughs> what, what is your recommendation around alcohol competing for body's resources to fight off a virus and is that something you would recommend or say refrain uh, well that's a good question the anti-aging benefits of wine are relatively prominent in the literature and it, it does make a difference i'd say if you're going to drink alcohol the, the one form of alcohol that has been shown to have health benefits is red wine about anything other than, than red wine, even white wine, the general impact of alcohol is going to be immune depressive. So wouldn't generally be recommended. Uh, red wine, because it has uh, the so-called OPCs, the oligomeric proanthocyanidins, the very potent antioxidants, plus resveratrol, and all of its myriad health benefits. I think uh, one glass of red wine to home one's nerves and get the other phytonutrient benefits is probably fine. Any other type of alcohol will tend simply to be a metabolic burden. That's not going to be helpful. All right. So we've got our answers on that. I'm, of course, still of the opinion that no one should drink, but that's my very personal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, Meditate. I it gives you the same high, I swear to God. Um, well, I'll just quote the longevity data. There was one study that looked at just two factors, one's folic acid status as well as one's consumption of red wine. And the shortest-lived people were those that had low levels of folic acid and didn't drink red wine. And the longest-lived were those persons that had high levels of folic acid and drank two glasses of red wine a day. There you have it.
No. Make Ar- what you will of that data. <laughs> now, arguably, <laughs> nowadays you can actually uh, get supplements that provide the pure OPCs as well as the resveratrol from red wine. Yep, which is you what I have, do. You can have the nutrient benefits without having to have the alcohol. Yeah, I do the I I do the resveratrol. So protection is key. Everyone should be isolating if possible. Don't be out there partying in bars, which luckily they're shutting down. We've got some supplements, some nutraceuticals that work really well. Uh, Let's talk about vaccination. So apparently there's vaccines coming down. There's several countries all claiming that they're working on it, that it works. Now they're working through the system. What are your thoughts on that? Well, there's so many aspects to the vaccine question, of course, and we can probably limit it to the discussion of the vaccine for coronavirus. And the issue with corona that's a bit different than the usual influenza A or influenza B outbreaks that occur annually is that at least for now, in its current state and the current lack of general immunity to it, that it appears to be more virulent than the typical influenza. Uh, and because it's more virulent uh, and more people that get it tend to go into more severe respiratory distress and need for hospitalization and even intensive care, that in these unique circumstances, if a truly effective vaccine is created, it, it might be one of those scenarios where a vaccination, particularly of more susceptible individuals, would be appropriate and would um, accelerate the new balance where it, you know, enough people are immune that it, it doesn't have a tendency to spread significantly. So now, that said, if they could provide a vaccine that doesn't have mercury, aluminum, and other uh, potentially uh, metabolically undesirable components, that would be ideal. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those promises of that there's a vaccination coming down and that we really don't have to worry too much long-term, you're saying that that, that's not necessarily um, a possibility we should all hang our hat on. What about antivirals? So, for example, um, uh, Tamiflu, I believe, is one that's been used for influenza. Do you think Mm -hmm. there might be a combination of antivirals that might work? The medication that I've seen the data on that is a little bit out of left field, actually, interestingly, is hydroxychloroquine, which is more typically used as an antimalarial uh, preparation, uh, most, mostly as a preventative to, to not getting infection if you're traveling in a malarious area. And the regimen that was used in Korea uh, quite successfully, and a five-day course appears to provide intracellular levels that are significantly viral inhibitory, was a program of taking uh, 200 milligrams um, as the dosage size, two of those, as a start, 12 hours later, two more, and then for four days, one of those twice a day. So that would be a total of 12, 200 milligram doses over five days that lasted in the cells for 10 days and seemed to also significantly improve the course of infection. So that's, that's the one that I've seen documentation of that has been shown to be beneficial. No one's and talking that, about that though. So. Mm-hmm. How do we bring all of our disparate researchers together? Um, I feel like, again, there's a lot of stuff that might be happening collaboratively, but we're, again, starting to see a lot of stuff that's coming out individually. Any ideas? Suggestions? I mean, is this something <laughs> that you can work on? I mean, it's something you have found. Are you? How involved are you with uh, all the research that's going on into creating a way for us as humanity to, to, to survive? Uh, that's a really good question. And one of the possible silver linings, as it were, of, of this global 
epidemic and all the attention it's gotten is really raising questions like that. How do we more quickly create a way to share the best information so that it can be generally useful? And for example, what I discussed with the simple use of a supplement in acetylcysteine, a modified form of the amino acid L-cysteine, that just doing that appears to greatly improve the the course of at least influenza. So it's taking a leap to say that it'll necessarily work similarly for coronavirus, but it's safe. It's simple as lots of other health benefits. It would be a reasonable thing to do. Information like that should be generally available, but I haven't seen that recommendation elsewhere actually, uh, and it would be quite appropriate. And other things, vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, selenium, and zinc, you know, those I have seen more more frequently as recommendations. Um, I have actually been introduced to uh, someone at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, to go over some more advanced ideas of what can be done for viruses. You know, I shared some of the work we've done with HIV and even the ability to directly neutralize HIV just through electromagnetic frequency modulations. And that discussion has begun. Now, whether there is enough time under these circumstances to bring new technology out to make a difference, I'm not sure, but perhaps it simulates the discussion so that there is a preparedness um, if there's a future challenge like this, or, or in general just to stimulate having other alternatives that don't require all the time it takes to develop a new therapeutic agent, a new drug, much less even a new vaccine. So uh, at least I've, I've been invited to bring some new ideas into the NIH that can be explored. And who knows, depending on how that discussion goes and if there is a willingness to provide some resources, we we might have some alternatives. I know that at least uh, at an in vitro work, we can completely shut off viral production if we provide the right informational signatures electromagnetically. And that's was one of the most exciting things that I heard on the, at the conference that I attended where I met you the first time was the fact that we're starting to use non-pharmaceutical-based solutions to treating patients with chronic issues, chronic illnesses. You and I have done a couple of interviews, um, mm-hmm. including, you know, sort of using the, the ARC, which I'm not wearing right now, but mm-hmm. use of... Um, of certain frequencies, et cetera, to see results. And it would make a lot of sense that if there was a way to identify or isolate the magnetic resonance of the coronavirus in its non-mutable mutation form, then you could potentially come up with a way to eliminate it from someone's body completely through resonance. So the question is, why wouldn't we or you work on that immediately in partnership with your local hospital that's got these corona patients like what stops you from getting that tested right away because you're right one is theory the second is we've got to test this and see if it works but if it works this could be it well the the reality is we always have what is the so-called standard of care And that means that when we're confronted with this issue, people are going to use that which has been approved, that which they're comfortable with, that which is what they've always used. And in order to get something as radical as using electromagnetic frequency as a viral neutralizing agent, we're going to need some, how you say, authoritative government body to make a pronouncement so that there will be comfort even among practitioners that they are at least following government-sanctioned guidelines. And if it is the case that the NIH will take this up, and if they could provide an in vitro model, a test tube model with the coronavirus, in theory, if we use the same strategy we did for HIV, Within a few weeks, we could literally have a pure laser-driven vibrational remedy for coronavirus that might require a 30-minute session and the person's issue would be relieved. 
it could be it could be that simple and perhaps one of the benefits if you want to call it that of this immediate challenge this this global crisis as it were with this particular spreading virus is that it may it may trigger these discussions these solutions to be able to 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 take a step to get enough visibility and enough research to be admitted into standard of care. Mm -hmm. It is unfortunate because I think at a point like this, there is no standard of care, right? If there was a standard of care, we wouldn't be in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> well, that's true. Am I right? You so, are true. So how does it make sense that we are still looking to standard of care? Of course we are, but to me, it just seems illogical to look, in fact, this I would say is the perfect opportunity to look beyond standard of care and say, what are we missing and what can we do to, to make sure that we keep our, um, our nationals, our, you know, the, our country safe. Um, we have a question actually from our, from our very live audience. Mm -hmm. um, we have a question around testing. Yes. So, um, the question is, what do you think the testing protocol should be? And, you know, I'll add to that. Um, testing is very haphazard. I mean, if Heidi Klum is on Instagram saying I'm super sick and I have all the symptoms and I can't get a test, you know, what hope do, does we <laughs> have? <laughs> if Heidi Klum can't get a test, we're in sad shape. <laughs> so... <laughs> What are we going to do? What are we going to do about testing, Dr. Todd? And what do you think the, the testing protocol needs to look like? Well, I, I guess the question is, what is the real utility of testing unless we're going to use it for something? In other words, if someone has symptoms of the flu and there isn't a specific antiviral remedy for that, then if they heard this show, they would at least do the appropriate things and get the, some N-acetylcysteine, vitamin C, vitamin D, selenium, and zinc minimally. Um, and that would, in all likelihood, support their immune systems to have a much better uh, course and uh, outcome. And, and no, they need to self-isolate until their symptoms are completely gone. Uh, if someone is... is sick enough to look at hospitalization, well, then that gets into the, the more formal you know, hospital care system, which should have the availability of testing and, and then use appropriate isolation uh, techniques if, if it indeed confirms positive. And I, I think the reality is that this has evolved so quickly and unexpectedly that they're just almost like getting toilet paper in the store there isn't the practical mechanism to get enough test kits out to enough places for it to be readily available. So that, that the default is doing the general thing to support the immune system and uh, self-isolating if you either, well, self-isolating in general uh, to the degree possible, but, but especially if, if someone actually is symptomatic, that not as much for their health, but for the health of everyone around them to, to, stay at home. And I think it's almost safer to assume that you've got the infection if you've been partying heavily in certain places. <laughs> and even if you're not symptomatic, to just stay at home. Just assume, <laughs> assume you've got the bug and, and you don't want to be out there infecting others. Uh, you know, my personal take on testing is we screwed up. This mm -hmm. isn't new. We saw it across our borders. We saw it in China. We've been watching. It's like we've been watching this awful car crash in slow motion. And instead of reacting and getting out of the way and doing things to make sure that we are not in this crash, we've, um, we've ended up in that crash without having been prepared for it. Mm -hmm. um, it I heard, I read something today that um, Mr. Ma from, you know, China was offering a million masks and we haven't taken up his offer. And I think it's back to sort of leadership, a question of leadership and how quickly do you react 
when you see this massive accident in front of you, how quickly mm -hmm. do you react? And I just feel we haven't reacted fast enough. And so now the question is, how do we as consumers, mm -hmm. the parents who are seniors, who are mm -hmm. in their 70s, um, what can we do to make sure that we don't end up um, in that same state that Italy is in? Mm -hmm. uh, which I've read, I've read what the patients go through, and it's not something I would wish on anybody, much less my loved ones. Um, so the question again, you know, comes up is we can't seem to access testing. I don't know what your data is. What I heard is that soon Quest Lab and a mm -hmm. um, couple of other local labs will have access to test kits for between fifty and a hundred dollars mm -hmm. for those who want to go out and get access to kits. Mm -hmm. Have you heard anything different? Um not specifically, uh, and it's great that there will be the availability. It, the, the really, the, the question is ultimately, what is the usefulness of having the information? Right. Uh, right. And, and I like, right. I like your, I love your metaphor that it's like watching, watching a, a slow moving crash, <laughs> and like we're watching the crash come across our borders and. You know, sort of crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. I've been reading a variety of articles from different sources on it. And there is one really good review of, of the day-by-day -day course, the epidemic in China, and looking at two other heavily affected countries, China, um, sorry, um, Italy and Korea. And the factors that have made a difference in terms of really mitigating the negative impact both, both stopping the spread uh, as well as reducing um, the mortality from the condition. And it looks like the biggest single factor is how soon everything was locked down, how exactly. soon people were able to stay at home. Yeah. That's exactly it. It was how quickly did they shut everything down, everything down. And that's what made the difference. Yeah. And uh, which is why I, you know, I've been very loud and vocal saying, everybody just stay at home. Two weeks. Just everybody just stay at home for two weeks. It's a forced vacation. Bond <laughs> with your kids. <laughs> Do the projects you've never done. I'm loving this. I'm yeah. loving not having my phone ringing off the hook, 20 things on the to-do list. I'm just really enjoying the slower pace, even though um, some people are hooked on TV. And again, I say that nothing good's going to come from that. <laughs> uh, so don't just spend your whole day in front of the television set. That's not going to be positive either. It's just use this time as a two-week vacation for yourself. We have something called Vipassana. I don't know if you've heard of Vipassana. Sure. It's where you self-reflect and you don't speak and mm -hmm. you don't hang out with friends. And they say it's one of the most transformational experiences. I think everybody needs to go on a in-home Vipassana retreat. And um, we'll all come out of this stronger, better, more at peace, more calm. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced. Okay, we have some more questions that have come in. So um, there's a question on vitamin C. What dose of vitamin C would actually be effective? Also, liposomal versus capsule versus tablets. Mm -hmm. So I think the... The most basic amount would be a, a thousand milligrams per day. That's generally useful. I mean, I'm personally going to to two thousand milligrams. Uh, liposomal is definitely the preferred form if you have it available to you. And with liposomal, if you want to push the doses, you actually can go go to pretty high doses. You can almost match intravenous doses if you uh, have that uh, particular form. And tablets. Uh, I mean, most vitamin C tablets are chewable, so it's it's really going to be you know well well dissolved and should be pretty well absorbed. The one thing I would recommend against would be you know, basically hard uh, tablets of vitamin C, which you might get into basic dissolving and absorption issues. Um, so in general, uh, avoiding hard tablets unless they're chewable, which they they should be comparably good to to the the veggie caps, and idea if you can get liposome. But I believe if, if you just get a good basic vitamin C with some bioflavonoids and take two grams of that a day, that's going to be generally quite helpful. 
and lipospheric versus liposomal? Any difference in that? What was, uh, well, I'm going to Oh, lipospheric. lipospheric. Uh -huh. There's this new thing called lipospheric. Is that uh -huh. similar to liposomal, or would you say that there's, that liposomal is preferred even to lipospheric? Well, I would need to know if that's an actual true technical differential or just another way of saying liposomal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I've been seeing the liposporics. Um, mm -hmm. I have another question on vitamin C. Personally, my body doesn't like it. And mm -hmm. I only know this because I'm incredibly in tune with how my body feels. Mm -hmm. And it's not a bowel tolerance issue. It's mm -hmm. just... I, get, I feel heated up, I feel itchy, I just don't like it, which when I say I don't like it, really, I don't think my liver likes it. Mm -hmm. Any insights into that? What could high doses of vitamin C be doing to our body that are on the negative side that at least we should all be aware of? Mm -hmm. Well, if you push it too hard, you may alter your acid-base chemistry as well as the solution chemistry of some other things in the diet, in particular because you're probably doing a, a green alkalinizing vegetarian as a rule, that uh, you can get into some excessive oxalates. And if you combine uh, uh, too many oxalates with, with higher amounts of vitamin C, you might be getting some oxalate precipitation, which could cause symptoms like you're describing. So it, yeah. That would make sense. That would make sense. Okay. Um, we have some more questions. We have a question about, do you recommend probiotics as a way for protecting your, or boosting your immune system, I guess, and protecting yourself from viral bacterial invaders? And if so, what brand do you recommend and what form do you recommend? I mean, probiotics is, is a massive industry at this point. Mm -hmm. with, you know, liquid-based gummies, chewables. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, excellent question. There's a gazillion of them out there, and they all make a bunch of claims, and they will tout one attribute or another. Uh, for, for my purposes, the only one that I really like to use clinically because I've seen generally good results across the board for a wide range of purposes which I've given it, is a product called VSL3. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I took it for two years. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. glad to hear you validate that it was a good decision to take it for two years. But you have to get it from the pharmacist. At least when I got it a couple of years ago, you have to go to the pharmacist at CVS. Or right. And then exactly. Right. And it's refrigerated. So yes. that's just is another... I think that validates the... The, the quality and potency that they keep it refrigerated. Um, I think there could be significant variation of potency of probiotics because it's a living structure. And if you overheat it or put it under less than ideal conditions, you might not get the potency it says on the label. And VSL3, which has quite high counts in the many billions, um, and taking two capsules, two to four capsules with every meal, even for a few weeks, I think will, will very nicely repopulate most people's uh, intestinal floor, at least shift it to the more beneficial direction. And it's not just the number, it's also the specific combination of bifidobacteria and lactobacilli and, and, and the species balance. And I know that they, they do it quite well with VSL3. Others I have to have more personal experience with it, but I, I can quite confidently recommend that particular one. What do I do with the fact that it makes me so hungry when I take probiotics? And so I, I'll go from a regular 2,000 calorie a day diet to 3,000 calorie a day diet, and I'll digest everything um, <laughs> when, I, when I take probiotics. I mean, it's, it's a problem, Dr. Todd, you know? <laughs> Some of us don't want to weigh 300 pounds in our, oh, in our youth. Yeah, well, you don't look at your risk of, of uh, being overweight at all, much less... That's when I work out in, in order to manage my <laughs> insane hunger from the probiotics. And well, when I taper them down, my hunger does abate. So there's clearly a correlation. Have you heard of this or seen this? I think that you are so sensitive that you're responding to the consciousness of the probiotics themselves and eating for them. 
<laughs> we're laughing, but for those of you who don't know Dr. Todd and I, um, um, are aligned and resonate at a couple of different frequencies, and some of it is mystical. And <laughs> you may have said that as a jest, but I swear to God, I am not exaggerating this. When I take certain strains, I can feel them going, are you not going to feed us? Like, why are you not? And I'm thinking, am I, am I hearing my probiotics talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be that sensitive. And, and probiotics do actually alter our internal metabolism. It, in a way, it kind of literally pre-digests the food that we're digesting, um, creates nutrients that we absorb. Okay. Uh, with some pre-digestion of, of the food that we consume. So it literally is altering, in a sense, the dietary composition of what you're eating. It's, it's not just perhaps tuning into the hunger of the probiotics. I'm joking. I was, I was totally joking. But you're saying it does. Good. So there is proof that it does change the metabolism and the, and the inner workings and probably makes it more efficient and for some reason that, or maybe it cleans out my liver or whatever it is, but there's definitely a hunger correlation that I've seen. Um, but that was just a little funny uh, aside. Moving back, do you think, I've heard this from Dr. Zach Bush and some of the other MDs and the interviews I've done in the past, mm -hmm. just staying on the probiotics topic for a moment. Sure. Um, we, Naveen Jain's another one who's talked about this. Sure. You know, we are nothing more than a trillion fungus, bacteria, virus, all moving in perfect harmony with a consciousness thrown on top of it mm -hmm. with a computer chip that we call a brain, right? <laughs> so that's really who we are. And so when a new virus attacks us, you know, I'm trying to use that blueprint to say if there is something that is that's brand new to our ecosystem, because each one of us has our own little print, our own ecosystem. This new invader has come in would it not make sense then to add the right amount and the right type of our fighters you know that is in our case the good bacteria and the good fungus and and the what you know what else is there that we can do to give our body what it needs um, to kill this foreign invader mm -hmm. and you've mentioned vsl3 is one Mm -hmm. Anything else beyond that? Like the sacra, sacra, the, there's a fungi, right? There's a bilardi, saccharae bilardi. Uh, Saccharomyces bilardii. That's the one. Mm -hmm. how, how relevant would that be to add to our diet? Well, Saccharomyces bilardii has as its best use the ability to restore an appropriate probiotic balance. So it's not something that I would recommend taking all the time. It would be most ideal to take for a few week course. Uh, so if someone has had high doses of antibiotics for a while and the, the quote unquote good probiotics have been largely depleted and less beneficial, uh, particularly uh, anaerobic bacteria are overgrowing, things like clostridia and other bacteria that can potentially create uh, imbalances or even uh, gastrointestinal problems, that the benefit of Saccharomyces boulardii is that using it for a few-week course tends to clear out the pathological biotics and makes a way to repopulate the gut with the so-called beneficial probiotics. So that's where that comes into play. So when I see Saccharomyces boulardii in a, a probiotic formula, I say they're really missing the boat. Um, the ideal way is to intensively use the Saccharomyces boulardii. Saccharomyces, you know, the yeast we use in bread is a Saccharomyces species, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, not boulardii, but it's, it's similar. So it's you know, a kind of, of yeast species that you know, we're relatively accustomed to in, in our, our culture. And and as part of you know the, the biology that interacts with us, so that's where that would come into play. Okay. And I wouldn't I wouldn't look at doing that in terms of this outbreak. You know that unless if someone is really imbalanced, they can be doing that to restore a good balance. But I wouldn't use that as 
as part of the immune defense unless they're really in a rebalancing phase. Okay. Otherwise, if taking a really good probiotic like um, BSL-3, for example, helps to establish a, a better, healthier balance. Got it. Yeah. Um, we just had a visitor that I'm going to um, hide the video for. Mm-hmm. So in terms of what kills a virus, a, a bacterial strain that can kill a virus, you're saying BSL-3 is really is really it. All right. Moving to the next question, which is, what's a waste of money? I mean, there's olive leaf, which I did for a while when they didn't know what was wrong with me. They were like, well, maybe it's some kind of a viral thing. So take olive leaf. Mm-hmm. Um, oil of oregano is something that I'm taking now. We, I just mm-hmm. added a drop. Mm-hmm. There's so much that's out there, right? Um, mm-hmm. What's a waste of money? What should we not be doing? <laughs> <laughs> we should not be oversubscribing to Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> there is no such thing if you ask my 15-year-old. So. <laughs> well, that's always a, a question that's based upon what is one's objective? You know, what, what, what is one aiming to Well, accomplish? let's talk about that because I think that in itself is a really good question. Mm-hmm. What, what are we trying to do, one? We're trying not to catch it. Mm-hmm. And we know self-isolation is one. Boosting your immunity is the second. Mm-hmm. Number two, if we catch it, we're trying not to die from it. Right. Yeah. It's better. Uh, right. Right. It's, it's pretty simple. So mm-hmm. in doing these two, and right now we're about, what, 10 to 14 days behind. Right. So most of us, it, if we have it, it's gestating. We're not symptomatic yet. So what can we do if we've caught it and are not symptomatic and what of that that we're hearing, you know, because there's 50 things we could be doing. Mm-hmm. What of that would be just a waste of time? Like don't do this. Like don't do a multivitamin. That's just a waste of time or waste of money. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's a lot of different things that people are saying. Uh, constantly cleaning your hands with hand sanitizer. You know, all day I've seen this. People kind of sitting there mm-hmm. with their just sanitizing, you know, <laughs> right. waste right. of money. Um, I, I think, that's kind of my question. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think there's a call to reason. And it's based upon an understanding of, A, how the virus is actually transmitted and the things that you do that are meaningful to reduce the risk of, of transmission. And then B, if you might actually be exposed, the things to do that, improve your chances. And the, just to be all on the same page, coronavirus, just like influenza, is a respiratory virus transmitted by so-called respiratory droplets. So when a person coughs, they are expelled from the airways, little particles you know, that are, you know, micron-sized particles, very tiny, that have relatively high escape velocities from the mouth and can travel you know, up to three to six feet from the person who has coughed them. And the, the biggest risk of transmission is being around someone who is coughing and literally inhaling little droplet that they have just exhaled from their lungs. So that's the biggest risk and the reason why there are the recommendations for people to to uh, cover their cough or cough into the elbow, whatever the case may be, and whatever they cough into to to dispose of it right away. And the secondary risk of transmission beyond that is where those respiratory droplets land. So a person covers their mouth with their hand, then they have droplets on the hand. So if they shake your hand, then they could potentially transmit it that way. Or the droplets literally go, you know, fall on a surface, like the surface of a table or a doorknob or whatever, and there is a risk of transmitting it from a surface to the hand and then you know, touching your face, where, you know, whether it's you know, the mouth, nasal, or ocular membranes, that there is a potential for the virus to get into that mechanism. So if you interrupt that cycle, there's not going to be risk of transmission. So the way you do it is not be around people who are coughing. That's like number one. (laughs) (laughs) And number two, hand washing is appropriate, but obviously there's not going to be any benefit to 
washing your hands uh, every 30 minutes if you haven't been exposed to something in those 30 minutes that might be potentially contagious. So a call to reason. It's wasting your money to buy uh, five cases of hand sanitizer if you know really two will do because you only need to do it three or four times per day at a time you might be out in public and contacting things that are you know potentially infectious. So I mean, that's the, the the basic rationale. If people are coughing, <laughs> stand away. If you're in public places or around people, you know keep three to six feet distance. And be mindful of surfaces where if people are coughing, droplets might have landed, and if so, then then hand washing is 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 reasonably protective. So that's the preventive side. And I think even if someone may have been exposed, what we're talking about in terms of nutritional support is generally going to boost immune defenses, integrity of the system, and ability to basically have have personal integrity of your immune defenses. So the nutritional program that we've talked about is is basic, but there's good data to support it. One other point that I would make for you, especially given your sensitivity to vitamin C, is that you can augment the benefit of your whole antioxidant system by taking alpha-lipoic acid. Mm. Hey, I so, like it really good. Took that yeah. for a while, I stopped. Okay, mm -hmm. so you would recommend that. Well, the reason is that you actually amplify the benefit of vitamin C because ALA's unique antioxidant that regenerates itself and vitamin C uh, and CoQ10. Oh, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. And right. you would take it simultaneously in what dosage? Um, the one that's best studied for a variety of benefits would also be 600 milligrams twice a day, or at least 300 milligrams twice a day. If you're really going you know, all out because of wanting maximum protection, I would just say 600 milligrams twice a day. Okay. Okay. What about infrared sauna? Sorry? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure, infrared sauna? Yeah. What do you think about infrared sauna? So they say the virus doesn't survive heat. So of course, Trump's praying for a quicker summer. Um, can right. we go into a sauna every day? Would that help? That's an interesting question. I mean, I heard uh, uh, a... Rogan interview with an authority in this area, and he said that it was not beneficial in terms of prevention to do the sauna, or at least the idea that stepping into the sauna if you were exposed that would eliminate the virus. I think you know that's probably so. If the virus has already gotten into the system, it's probably not going to heat you internally enough to eliminate it. However, there are general health benefits to infrared saunas. Um, both the detoxifying side and immune enhancement side. So as one of the things that you can do, in addition to supplementation, in addition to meditation, which I think is a fantastic idea, Vipassana, as opposed to just binging on um, you know, the latest... My quest news briefings. Right, especially that. You don't want to... <laughs> that is probably the least... Uh, beneficial information you can bring into yourself at this time if you want to maintain your equanimity. Uh, stress reduction, I think, is critically important. Uh, the infrared sauna is beneficial for that. Uh, the meditation is spectacularly good for that if you have a, a practice of it. And anything else that's generally stress reducing is going to be beneficial because stress inhibits the function of the, the nervous system and the immune system as well. So both of those factors can reduce our versatility in the face of a threatening situation so yeah. massages so anything right anything that can calm you down which right. allows your body to be fully ready for if you end up catching the virus to mount an attack it's the way i look yeah. at it is it's really resting you know mm -hmm. rest up and resting means not being in this flight of fright mode which Unfortunately, I see a lot of people getting very panicky and overreacting, and I, that, I think that needs to stop. You know, my big recommendation is everybody needs to calm down. Um, I couldn't agree more. Like the very worst thing you can do for your immune system and your general survival mechanisms, whether it's how you, 
how you respond physically and and intelligently to a situation to your internal mechanisms of protection like your immune defenses stress is the antagonist of, of all of that so the degree that one can reduce stress it's going to be beneficial and therefore the mainstream media is not at all generally beneficial in that regard and even the types of of media that a person may watch during this time even if one is a, an action adventure junkie it's probably not the best time to be watching those things where there is violence that activates one's fight or flight response just as you know mirror neuron activities from that so it's probably best to if you're going to watch anything watch something that really lifts the spirit particular things that are funny uh, laughter is good medicine laughter does you know build and boost the immune system and it'll be a, a general antidote to the tendency to to fear and panic and to putting too much emphasis on the things that could potentially go wrong with this epidemic um, i think keeping a balanced view doing the things that are basic intelligent and appropriate as we're discussing you know, will give a great deal of protection and if those things are generally done across the population then this whole thing will pass a lot faster i couldn't agree more dr todd thank you so much for coming out to chat with us today i really appreciate it and for the rest of you um, healcircles.org come join us if you're feeling lonely come join us if you're scared <laughs> come join us um, we're gonna start hosting these zoom calls where anyone's welcome to just come chat, hang out, talk, ask questions. We might ask Dr. Todd to come back and talk to us if there's any new information that comes out or if he um, decides to put his heads down and um, build out that resonant machine to kill the coronavirus, um, which I hope you do. I hope, <laughs> I, I hope you put your time to in self-isolation to good use. And, <laughs> I've been. <laughs> and you know build us build us this this machine um but thank you so much again for your time and everybody else big love big hugs stay safe stay positive stay happy we're alive life is beautiful go out for a walk hug your kids do something fun and i'll see you soon very soon on another episode that's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.